from the Lord. Amen. As we continue this series of messages that God has given us for this summer of 2018, titled The Harvest. And I want to just personally thank all of you for accepting the challenge to win the harvest. So many of you have gone out of your way to share the gospel. I shared with the church at eight, we've been blessed this summer. Amen. We've seen people in church that came for the first time. We've had people that are ministering, that have driven miles and miles to be here. And thank you. The harvest surely is plentiful. And I thank God that you have been, you have become part of the labor force. Amen. To win the harvest. Amen. This is the 11th of 12 messages. Two references of Holy Scripture. Both are found in the NIV translation. The first is Psalms 51. Psalm 51 and verse number 1. The second is 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Hear the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Verse 1 of Psalm 51. And it reads, have mercy on me, O God. Listen to this next clause. According to your unfailing love. <laughs> According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. First mm. Peter chapter 4. Verse 8, short verse, powerful, yet simple verse. Above all, love each other deeply. Listen to this. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And those that love God's word said amen. Amen. Catch the hand of someone that is standing next to you. The series, once again, is called The Harvest. This is the 11th message. This is next to the last message of this 12-message series. Hold those hands. Squeeze those hands. Simply say to someone, the power of love. Amen. The power of love. You may be seated. The power of love. A love that when we were sinking deep in sin, love lifted. Not doctrine, not theology, homiletics, but it was love that lifted us. In this, our 11th message, of this series, God has given us an assignment as it relates to the harvest. For he has asked us to consider the harvest from the perspective of God's redeeming love for us. God's redemptive love for us. Now when we speak of God's redemptive love 
we are speaking of the unwavering, merciful love of God that forgives and restores. <laughs> Don't miss that. A love that doesn't judge and condemn, but a love that forgives and restores. A love that will forgive our sins and it will restore us to our proper place in our relationship with God. Jeremiah the prophet understood this in the King James Version when he said, it is of the Lord's mercies we've not been consumed. But allow us to share that verse uh, Jeremiah, Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23 from the NIV translation. Here is what the prophet Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3 and 22 and 23, the NIV translation. Listen to this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. The only reason you are still here is because God loved you and God loves you. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Then he says to God, great is your faithfulness. How many of you know that if it had not been for the love of God, you wouldn't be sitting up in any church on a Sunday morning, five minutes after 12. Amen. Listen, love that forgives and restores. This redemptive love, that, that iconic verse, that great verse in John, the third chapter, the 16th verse says, to us when it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him rich man, poor man brown man, yellow man black man, white man doesn't matter whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life what a word for God so loved the world not the church he didn't send his son to die on the cross so that we can be churchy so that we can be religious so that we can think that we're better than anybody else but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Then there's a, another wonderful reference of Holy Scripture that is found in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. John the apostle asked this rhetorical question of those that he's ministering to who at this point in their life, they had been born again. They were redeemed. 
But John wanted them to know it's not because you were that great. Not because you have earned anything. Because if you earned what you think you have earned, you wouldn't be here today. But note what John writes in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, I love this verse. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Just by the mere fact that you are called a child of God demonstrates the love of God. Because you didn't deserve it while we were yet sinners, while we were in our sin, doing everything we were big enough to do. Uh, God loved us. God has always loved us in spite of ourselves. God loved us knowing he knows everything about us. He still chooses to love us. Listen, listen, everybody in society does not operate that way. In fact, there are those in our society who would say, and they would say it sometimes flippantly, that the only response to someone who's done wrong is for justice to prevail. They will tell you if you have done the crime, you ought to do the time. And they, uh, unless it's them, okay? Uh, they, will, they will tell you that if you mess up, you ought to pay up. You, uh, you ought to suffer the consequences of your mishaps. Uh, however, let me tell you, this is not a godly perspective. Justice does not forgive and justice does not restore. Mercy does. Love does. Justice convicts and punishes. When you go to a courtroom, uh, their job is not to have mercy on you. They will tell you that their job is to convict and punish. We have something now in the law called mandatory minimum sentences. Horrible. Things that we have been fighting against at the state house in which they tie the hands of judges and say that if you've done a certain crime, there is a minimum amount of punishment you ought to have regardless of who you are. That is not mercy. That is not love. In fact, oftentimes, justice leaves one worse off than what they were before. If you don't believe me, look at juvenile incarceration. Look at those particular years ago that just threw juveniles in prison without considering their background or anything. And they, uh, all they thought about is putting them in prison. Oftentimes, it was because the prison system was a money-making system. And they would throw young people in prison and they would come out worse than what they went in. They went in as a juvenile delinquent, came out as a hardened adult criminal. Uh, that's not fair. That is not just, that's not mercy. That's not love. But uh, society will tell you, uh, Dr. Thompson, it will tell you that's justice. It will say, you got what you deserve. But I stopped by Atlas Road, somewhere off Bluff Road, to tell you, thank God for mercy. Thank God for love. Is there anybody so glad 
that when you should have received justice, God gave you mercy. God gave you love. Mercy and love is, I know you are guilty, but yet I'll give you another chance. Perhaps this is why doing the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus talked more about love, mercy, and forgiveness than he did justice and punishment. Uh, Jesus rarely referred to justice and punishment, but he often talked about love, mercy, and forgiveness. He talked about if someone slaps you on one side, turn the other side. Talks about if they compel you to go one mile, go two miles. Why? Because Jesus knew that he had to be different than the world. He knew that his message of redemptive love had to look different than the world. The world says you did it, you ought to suffer the consequences. Jesus said, I know you did it, but I still love you. Peter, I know you are a liar, a fighter, and a cursor. I know that you will deny me three times, but yet I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Only Jesus would give somebody something they did not deserve at the time. Because the difference is that justice looks at what you've done. Mercy look at what you will become. Somebody ought to thank God for mercy. Listen, I am convinced that those who are more concerned with justice and punishment are not really following the example that God has set before us. For we're told in Romans 5 and 8 that God demonstrated his love for us. Look at this, Romans 5 and 8. God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, whew, Christ died for us. I told you, he didn't die for the righteous. He died for you when you were messed up, jacked up, confused, drunk up, high up, whatever you were, whatever you were going through. He died for you. And that's why if we are going to win the world for Christ, we must do it through the redemptive power of God's love. Let me share with you a very interesting quote that was given in 1957. November the 17th, 1957 at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church by a young 28-year-old preacher by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. All of my millennials and young people ought to hear this. King was 28 years old and he preached a message called Love Your Enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. What, what I love about King is that God had blessed him not only to speak but to write. And because he was gifted in communications, we, we have the notes from his sermons even today. King writes these words and I quote, put it on the board for you so you can see. November the 17th, 1957, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church King writes these words, love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power there that eventually, listen to this, transforms.
transform individuals. Love will transform you, King said. This is why, according to Dr. King, Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you will have no way to redeem and transform them. But if you love your enemies, you will discover, and I highlighted this, that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. The power of redemption at the very root of love, God says, I will redeem you. What are you talking about, Dr. King? Dr. King, God, God gave him this uh, even years before the severe persecution that he would go through because God was preparing this 28-year-old young preacher that if you are going to make a difference in this world, you can't do it with revenge and hate. And you can't get mad at people and hold grudges. You can't walk around and not forgive people because the only way you can transform your enemies Thank you, Holy Ghost, is that you've got to love them. Some folk, you've got to love them straight. Some folk that hate you, you've got to love them. The ones that treat you the worst, you ought to treat them the best. Come on, can I preach to somebody? How many of you are so glad that God loved you when you were unlovable, when, 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 when other folk would have thrown you away? Woo! The redemptive power of love if we are going to make a difference church in the world today and i want to say this to all of my preacher friends that are sending everybody to hell okay uh, it's not your job to send folk to hell the devil does a good job at his job amen somebody you've got to give them a reason not to go to hell You've got to show them that the redemptive power of God can transform your life and make you out of what God wants you to be. Are there any witness? I just want to see. Can I take just one moment to pause to see? Is there anyone in this building that want to thank God for mercy and love? You should have been destroyed. Come on, Zion. Anybody in here want to join me in giving God your best praise for just giving you second chances? Look at somebody and say, God's been good to me. What? Should not be here today, but God. Thank God for love. When you did not even love yourself, thank you, God loved us. And he commended his love towards us while we were still sinners. Look at the text for the next few moments. Go with us to the text as we examine the testimony of someone who experienced firsthand the power of God's love. Perhaps there's no one in all of scripture who understood this redemptive power of God's love more so than David. David, of all men had a keen understanding of what the mercy of God is all about. Let me set it up for you if I can. Uh, David is now in the text king of all of Israel. 
He had been running for his life. He had destroyed Goliath. He had slain thousands of Philistines. Uh, David had escaped uh, the attempt to murder him by his mentor, King Saul. And now God had done just what God promised David he would do. He now sits on the throne. Use your Holy Ghost imagination to imagine someone who'd been through all David had been through, but now sits on the throne. Can I put a word in here that you need to carry with you? Just because you're at a place where God wants you to be doesn't mean that you are perfect. May I preach this? Just because you're at a place where you ought to be doesn't mean that you are immune from everything that the enemy is going to throw your way. In fact, I will reason with you and say uh, that the higher you go up, the more the devil is going to fight you. The higher the elevation, the more temptation, trials and tribulation you're going to have to do it in your life. You ought to be careful of elevation. Be careful when God gets ready to bless you in a way because the enemy comes in like a flood. Bishop Jackson used to say, Mother, after every great revival we had, you remember this trip, he would say, Church, pray like you've never prayed before because the enemy will attack like he's never attacked before. After this phenomenal worship experience, when you go home today, there will be some demons waiting on you. And some of them live in your house. When you go to work tomorrow, there will be some demons with some names on it waiting on you. So David is now the king of Israel. Help me imagine what he's been through and where he is. Ziglag recovered. Goliath destroyed. Uh, Absalom, the coup has been averted. <laughs> Everything David had gone through, now he sits on the throne. And Satan says, well, the enemy from without could not destroy you. Now I'm going to use the enemy from within. Who go with me, church. Because Satan knew that inside of David was still a human being, a man whose flesh was a mess. And he, and he knew that if Saul could not discourage you, if Absalom could not discourage you, if Ziglag did not steal your joy, if all the things you went through, let me mess with your spirituality. Let me mess with your flesh. Second Samuel chapter number 11, uh, as you go home and read it, is the context for where David was. David was on the throne. David's army was out fighting a battle. And one morning, David gets up and goes to his rooftop. And next door, living next door to him, was the captain of his army, Uriah, and his beautiful wife, Bathsheba. David gets up early one morning, and he sees Bathsheba sunbathing on the top of the roof. And although you may have a throne on a, a crown on your head, doesn't mean that you are immune from temptation. 
for everybody that want to act so holy as if the devil can't get to you, I want you to know that he still has ways of getting to you. Preach, Pastor Jackson. So this man, David, anointed by God, chosen by God, mighty warrior of God, the slayer of thousands of Philistines, cannot resist his own flesh. Good God. He can slay thousands of Philistines. He can resist King Saul. Uh, he can withstand a coup from his own son, but he could not withstand his own flesh. Satan will find your weakness. I don't care what it is. Some of you got an attitude weakness. Some of you got an ego weakness. Some of you got an adulation weakness. You need to be lifted up. Some of you got a validation weakness. You need other folk in your life to tell you you are all right. He'll find your... And he'll turn that screw. He knew that David had a weakness. And so here he is Bathsheba. Bathing, minding her own business. And David goes and summons her to the king's palace. I want you to know this was not a democracy. <laughs> uh, when the king says, come, you've got to come. So she goes over there and David begins to have an illicit affair with the wife of the captain of his army. Ooh while he was off fighting on behalf of King David and the nation. Paint this picture. I want you to know who David was. Now, this is the man that God said is a man out of my own heart. This is the man that was the greatest king of all of Israel. This was perhaps one of the greatest, if not the greatest character of the Old Testament, but he had weaknesses. So here he is. He commits this horrific, horrible sin. He sleeps with Bathsheba. But the situation gets even worse. Ah, because Bathsheba becomes pregnant with David's child. Can I say this again? While her husband was fighting David's war. And so he's out there fighting on behalf of King David and he's sleeping with his wife. She becomes pregnant. The situation gets worse because David tried to cover up his transgression. I need to preach this to you because the cover up is always worse than the original transgression. What gets a lot of folk in trouble is not your transgression, but the fact that you cover up everything. One lie leads to another, and the third lie has to cover the second lie, and the fourth lie got to cover the first three lies. And before you enter, you are so deep, you don't remember what lie you told. Preach, Pastor. Look at somebody say, it's the cover-up. It's the cover-up that messes people 
up uh, because most of us aren't strong enough when we mess up to just confess up right away and say, yeah, you got me. I did it. Can't lie about it. I did it. Uh, Lord, here I am. David at first tried to cover it up. Called Uriah back from the battlefield and says, I'm, I'm going to give you a sabbatical. I'm going to give you some time off. Come home and go take care of your family. and Go sleep with your beautiful wife. But what he was not counting on was Uriah's faithfulness, not only to David, but to his men on the battlefield. Uriah says, I can't in all good conscience go home and sleep with my wife while my men are fighting. You can send me home, but I'll sleep outside my bedroom door. Can I preach this? Sure. I sleep outside my bedroom door because I'm committed to my oath. There's an oath that you take as a soldier that when the battle is going on, you will not indulge in any pleasurable activity until the battle is over. So Uriah refused to sleep with Bathsheba and David got even angrier than what he had been before. I need to tell you the story. He sends Uriah back to the battlefield and he orchestrates an assassination of his own captain, of his own army. And David says to the soldiers, when Uriah charges the enemy, everybody drops back and let him be destroyed in battle. And so it was. Uriah charged and everybody dropped back and Uriah lost his life. His blood spilled on the battlefield because David wanted to cover up his illicit affair with his wife. And now here's the story. Here's where it gets profound and powerful. And I said these words at 8 o'clock. And if you got it for me, put it on the board. The Lord exposes the cover-up. Y'all will get it Tuesday. <laughs> Grab somebody by the hand and say, neighbor, you need to know something. Thank you. The Lord exposes the cover-ups. Don't you think you can get away? The bed is too short. The cover is too narrow. God says, I've got a light in every closet you think you live in. And everything you thought you've done in the dark, I know how to expose everything you've done. And the only reason I haven't exposed you yet, because I'm trying to still redeem you. But God will expose your cover up. Your lies will catch up with you. Your deceit will catch up with you. Can I preach this? The Lord raises up a prophet by the name of Nathan. Thank God for Nathan's. Nathan was a prophet of God. Although he was in the kingdom of David, Nathan knew that he answered to a higher authority than King David. God sends Nathan to David's house, the king's palace, and Nathan tells David a story, a parable, 
about a man who had plenty of sheep and one man who had one lamb. And the man who had plenty destroyed the one man and took his one. David, not knowing who he was talking about, said, I'm angry, find that man, bring him to me. I need to take care of him. Thank God for Nathan that'll look power in the eye and say, you are the man. You need to hang around some folk that'll tell you, you jacked up. You need to hang around some folk that tell you, get out of your mess. Dry up your tears. I ain't covering up your mess. Something wrong with you and I'll tell you something's wrong with you. We've got too many kisser-ups in our inner circle. Am I right about it? You got too many Facebook fake friends that tell you when they're laughing at your crazy post, baby, I'm proud of you. No, they ain't. Behind your back, they say you look like a fool, but they won't tell you. You need some real folk in your life that'll call you and say, baby, take that down. Preach, Pastor Jackson. You need some folk like Nathan that'll tell you something wrong with you. You better get it together. Woo! But here's where the greatness of David comes out. David had the power to destroy Nathan on the spot. But this is why God says he's a man out of my own heart. Woo! 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, David said to Nathan, without any excuse, without trying to blame how fine Bathsheba was, without trying to say, if my wife would have been good to me, I probably wouldn't have, y'all know what I said, I wouldn't have had to go there. No, no, ain't no excuse, David. You shouldn't have gone there. I don't care what you got going on in your house. Because you got to remember, he was married to Saul's daughter. That's another story for another day. But he did not use any of that as any excuse. David simply said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I just want you to know that, yes, you're right, Nathan. I've done wrong. Then he writes the text. <laughs> Psalms 51 and verse 1. Have mercy on me, God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions against thee and thee only have I committed the sin. He goes on to write, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. And whatever you do, don't take your spirit from me. How many of you ever had to fall on your knees and say, Father, I confess. I need your help, Lord. I've done wrong. I know I've messed up. I have done something that I'm not proud of. So here am I. But here is the good news. Ah, David then writes in Psalms 32 in verse 1, and I want you to hear this and write this scripture down. We haven't read it yet, but Psalms 32 in verse 1 says this, I 
after God had done what he had done for David, don't get the chapters mixed up because this wasn't in chronological uh, text. Then he writes these words, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Touch somebody and say, not a cover up, but covered by the blood. Not a cover up, but under the blood. I'm here to admit that I haven't been all that good, but thanks God, the blood of Jesus knows how to cover me. Somebody ought to help me give God your best praise and tell the Lord, thank you. Come on, Zion, stand to your feet all over this place and say, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Real love forgives. Real love restores. Real love covers a multitude of sins. Now you can understand David's joy because he knew that God, you could have thrown me away, but I'm still here. God still used him. God still used them to do a mighty work. Why? Because God says, I don't look for perfection. I look for humility and folk that will admit, yes, I've done wrong. But hear my Lord. How many of you are so glad that the love of God, the love of Jesus in your life was greater than any love you've ever had? Look at somebody say, there is no greater love. Come on, cross the aisles and give somebody a Holy Ghost hug and say, there is no greater love. Ah, he gave his only begotten son. Ah, his son gave his life for me when he died on Calvary. Anybody so glad that God loved you despite yourself? Make your way to this altar. Walk down those aisles and say, Lord, I thank you for your love. Because you could have given up on me. You could have thrown me away. But God, no greater love. No greater love. God loved us so. Woo, that he looked beyond our faults. And God covered us. <laughs> Tell somebody God covered me. When, when you were wallowing in all of your iniquities, God covered you. When you didn't know what to do, God covered you. When you should have lost your mind in the sin that you were living in. Come on Zion, clap those hands. No greater love. If you're in the balcony, you don't have to be perfect this morning. But I want to tell you that the love of God is waiting for you right here at this altar. Come on. All of us have sinned and come short. Come. That's right. Okay. God so loved the world 
that he gave. That he gave. Come on. He Thank gave you, young his man. only son. Oh, man. You're a miracle, Rob. And the son Ooh. gave his life for me. Come on. I want some brothers to go and stand by that young man. He died. He was just in intensive care last week. There's no greater love. This young man was in a horrific accident last week. I went to see him. Tubes was all in his body. The other people in the accident lost their lives. But God spared you for a reason. Come on, where are my young brothers? Come on, some young men. Get over no here and surround us. There's no greater love. Yeah, 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 greater. That's that's right. That's right, brothers. Get over here. Surround this young man. Lay down his life. Sing. Right. Y'all surround this no brother. I don't care what you used to be, Rob. God's got a plan for you, young man. God's got a plan for you. You don't have to. You just got out of the hospital. No greater love. Look at God. That's right, brothers. said you ought to be dead right now but God God, thank you man thank you amen stay in touch with him get his number y'all bless him but God that's love tell you something when I saw that young man man you were just discharged Friday I think you may have heard about the accident on the news the couple that worked in the restaurant that died on a head-on collision that's the accident he was involved in 
two people lost their life. But there's a reason God spared you, young man. Somebody in here right now, there's a reason God gives us second chances. There's a reason God doesn't allow the enemy to destroy us when the devil has every right to take everything we have. Somebody say, but God. God's love supersedes justice and, and any criminal justice system. Look, nobody's perfect. I painted you a picture of David who was an adulterer. David who tried to cover it up. But yet, after David had done all of that, then God says, you are the man out of my own heart. What he loved about David is that David repented and said, Lord, create in me a clean heart. In order to get a second chance, you must want a second chance. Is there anybody in here that want God to give you another chance? Love would do it. Anybody want God to turn your life around? Listen, we are about to pray this morning. God told me to end this message right here. We're finished on Tuesday. God's redemptive love that covers a multitude of sins. God's redemptive love that creates in us a clean heart. Somebody here right now, close those eyes. You're in this building. Perhaps you're viewing by way of internet, listening by way of radio. And you know, like David, you haven't been perfect. But God didn't throw you away. <laughs> he gave you another chance. And the only reason we can stand here today is because the love of God covered all of our faults covered all of our shortcomings now God doesn't cover you so you can continue to do what you've been doing he covers you he blocks it out so that you can start all over again nowhere else in scripture is there another account of David having another affair with anybody else Whew. he messed up God gave him another chance he used that to make his life better Whew. amen somebody so when God forgives and restores you've got to walk in faithfulness you you've got to praise God for what God has done his love there's nothing greater than that love of God that forgives and restores close those eyes put your arms around somebody right now come on tell them again quiet before we pray yeah jesus yeah yeah jesus went all the way to calvary he to calvary. he died for us to save a wretch like you and me Lord, we thank you. We, we bless you. <laughs> the power of love. 
what will win the world for the kingdom is not a judgmental spirit but the power of love for every person that stands at this altar for everyone under the sound of my voice God is not concentrating on what you have done God is concerned about what you will become starting today you have a fresh start <laughs> who am I talking to you starting today all of your transgressions are covered <laughs> God says I've taken care of that you have become a new creature God is doing something in your life that only God can do God has given you another chance today we don't have to be perfect just redeem and so Lord we say thank you thank you for the redemptive power of love help us to love those who don't love us help us to pray for those who have used us help us to wish well those who wish our destruction Lord move in a mighty way because it's not about our enemies it's about what you are doing in us and so we say thank you thank you for this young man it took courage for him to walk down that aisle and to stand here today thank you for these brethren that are standing around him with their arms stretched telling him that we're your brother we love you now bless Lord those who don't yet believe someone sitting home hearing this broadcast who about to give up <laughs> convince them that the love of God will restore them and forgive them this is our prayer we ask in Jesus name we pray and all of those that know that God has already done it say amen amen amen, amen. put your arms around somebody and say that's love Come on, if you want.